Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. I am happy to share tonight's message with you focusing on Revelation 21. Just as dark as last week's message was, this is the polar opposite, and I am glad for it. I really want us to focus on the beauty of of heaven and the glory of heaven. In Revelation chapter 21, I have entitled this The Bride. I think that is the main theme. Now, again, this is a bird's eye view. We're not going to cover everything that's in Revelation 21. We don't have enough time. Uh, but we're going to cover uh, what we're going to focus on is the bride. And that will come forth very early on in our study this evening. In fact, it's going to happen right now. Let's begin and on the screen behind me, you can follow along. Revelation 21.1 says this. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea, no oceans in the future. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, <clears throat> coming down from God out of heaven. Here it is, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That'll be us in that new Jerusalem. We are the bride. Christ is the groom. That's that's beautiful and wonderful imagery. In fact, David Guzik, who I reference a lot in my preparation, who has written commentaries on pretty much the entire Bible, says this about verse number 2. He said, John uses the most striking, beautiful image he can think of. The most beautiful thing a man will ever see is his bride coming down the aisle, ready to meet him. John says that this is how beautiful the new Jerusalem will be. Sorry, ladies, that you haven't had that perspective. That's kind of limited to us guys. But that is true. For the average man, the most beautiful thing he will ever see is when those church doors in the back of whatever auditorium it is open and his bride is standing there. And I remember it like it was yesterday when the church doors opened down at Central Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Sharon was standing there. And nobody believed she was going to go through with it, you know. She is going to marry him. She's really going to marry that guy. And I felt like I was the luckiest guy in the world, and I, I never. it was the most beautiful sight that I ever saw, and I trust that every man here that has experienced that, he had that same, that same feeling. And that's the image that uh, God wants us to have of heaven. And the new Jerusalem coming down. It'll be coming down out of the sky. And and most, you know, the dimensions of this is like 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Most, some think it's a, it's a pyramid. Most think it's a, it's a cube. You know, there's, there's a lot of things unknown here, folks. Let's just be honest. I mean, when he, in verse number one, can, can you back up the slide, Velvet? Verse number one. 
in verse number one, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. There's debate right there. Some people think that this earth will, will be remade. And others think it'll be done completely away with in a new one. In what sense is it new? Let's just acknowledge that there, there's things that are debated. There, there are things that, that we don't know. Now, uh, but the truth of the matter is, what is important is what we do know. And there is this heavenly city coming down, and it's, it's, it's the bride that's coming, and the groom is receiving it. That's the Lord. He talks about it again in Revelation chapter 21. This idea of the bride is mentioned a second time down in verse number 9. Let's read that. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And we know that the Lamb is Christ, and we know that we, the born-again believers, or the bride of Christ. And, and this, the heavenly Jerusalem coming down to, to the new earth, there's no sea here. You know, back in, in Israel's day, the sea was a scary place. The, the imagery around the sea in, in the time of Christ was, it was foreboding. It was big. And, and really, when I go to the ocean, it was kind of spooky to me. You ever, it, am I the only one? I mean, that's a big nothing out there. It looks just kind of spooky to me, and that's the way it was in the time of Israel. And I think there, there are Bible scholars that say there's no more sea. In other words, there's nothing to fear anymore. There, there's nothing foreboding anymore. I quote Guzik again on this particular verse when he says, This heavenly city is literal, but it is called the bride, the Lamb's wife, because it is the place where all God's people are gathered. In this sense, the new Jerusalem is certainly like the bride. But this association doesn't diminish the reality behind the image. The city is associated with the bride to all us with a sense of its beauty. I remember one time years ago uh, when I was a kid, I had an aunt and uncle that lived in Seattle, Washington. It was my mom's brother. And we took $400. I remember they had $400 in traveler's checks. Do they even do traveler's checks anymore? I guess they probably do. I haven't seen any in a while. But I remember my dad went to the, you know, this is in the 60s. And $400 were going to get us a three-week trip to Seattle, Washington, and back to Louisiana. And I remember when we were up there in Seattle, uh, Mount Rainier isn't very far away. And we drove up to Mount Rainier, and it just happened to be, as is the case sometimes in the mountains, it was foggy and overcast, and you couldn't, you couldn't see anything. And then I remember for a brief moment, the clouds broke. And being from Louisiana, <coughs> mountains foreign to us in Louisiana, I mean, the, the biggest thing they have for a mountain would be the levee along the Mississippi River. In fact, they have t-shirts, you know, ski the levee, you know which you don't do in Louisiana, but anyway. But those clouds broke, and I was just mesmerized by what I saw. That cone, that huge mountain peak, it was just overwhelming in its majesty and in its beauty. And that image has been in, in, embedded in my mind since I was, I don't know, 10-year-old 10, 10 kid or whatever it was at the time. And But that's nothing to be compared to... This city, 
15, 1,600 miles long, 15, 1,600 miles deep, 15, 1,600 miles high. And the Bible refers to that city as the bride. We believers are referred to as the bride of Christ. And, and being described as the bride of Christ has, very, has a lot of very positive uh, connotations. And I want us to think about that. In fact, I want us to look at what Scripture says. He says, come hither and see the bride now. As you've never seen the bride before. So let's, let's think about that moment that is yet to come, but is going to come. When the new Jerusalem comes down. And you have, the wedding takes place. I mean, everything that every born again Christian has been looking forward to and anticipating. They're looking forward to it happening. And so, here's what that means. And we're, that's described in verses 3 through about verses 7 and 8. Let's look at what that means. Number one, when that occurs, we're in the enjoyment of nearer communion. The communion has been distant. I mean, we think about Jesus, we read about Jesus, but then we're in the presence of God. It's not something you're reading about. It's not something you're studying about. It's not something you're, you're hearing about. It's something that you're going to experience. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them. Be with them and be their God. Think about that for a second. We read about God, we have faith in God, we trust God. But at that point, to be in the very presence of God in heaven. There's that nearer, there's that close communion with God. Also, number two, we'll be participating in the, in the greatest blessings. We'll take part in the greatest blessings anybody has ever known. Verse number four describes it further. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now again, there's lots of people that have different views about that. Why are there tears in heaven? You tell me. You can speculate. I'm not going to speculate. You know, they, I mean, and you can find all sorts of speculation out there. You know, they're not supposed to be tears in heaven. Are they tears of joy? Maybe. You know, but then why would he be wiping away those tears? Is it tears of sadness? This is heaven. You know, I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm just being open with you because I study this and I know that people have questions. And it, Sharon will tell you, it frustrates me to no end that I can't give you specific answers for each and every one. We'll just take it at face value, right? We'll, we'll just take God's word for it. And it tells us that God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be, listen to this, no more death, Brother Mike. No more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. We'll be participating in the greatest blessings ever. It, it, it's almost, I think, maybe beyond our comprehension to even imagine such a thing. I mean, we all have concerns. We all have 
ailments. We all have people we love and are concerned about. And, you know, there, there's people do each other wrong. There's all these terrible things going on. But God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And you won't even have to worry about the fact that you might have pain someday. No, not only do you not have pain and worries now, you're not ever going to have them. Which leads us to number three. What does all this mean? We're entirely absorbed in all things new. All things new. I mean, you like getting a new car? I've heard of that. I've never had one. Not a brand new one. But I, I've smelled the inside of brand new cars. And something really nice about a brand new car. Something nice about a brand new house. There's something that, that's invigorating about things new. Verse number 5 says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write. For these words are true and faithful. Someone suggested that John is so enraptured by what he's seeing and hearing, he forgets to write. And he has to be told, hey, write, write this down. Oh, okay, I'm about to forget. But he says, and he sat upon the throne, behold, I make all things new. Can, I mean, it's all fresh. It's all new. There, there, there's nothing age. There, there's, there's nothing. There's no, uh, what's the word, entropy when things break down and fall apart. There, there, there's none of that in heaven. It is all new and fresh, and it will stay all new and fresh. It also means that we'll be resting in his trustworthiness. Verse number 6, the first part of it. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. We will be resting in his trustworthiness. It's done. What I said I was going to do, it has been done. I said I was coming again, I came. I said there would be seven years of tribulation, and there was. I said there would be the millennial reign of Christ, and there was. I said I would bind Satan and cast him into the bottomless pit forever. And that is where he is. And I said, I will dwell with you and you will dwell with me in eternal bliss forever. And that's where we are. We read about it. We dream about it. We have faith. We have our hope. We have our prayers. And at this point, we're experiencing it. Without any doubt, without any equivocation, without any worry, without any second guessing. It's happening. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I started it. I finished it. That gives us great comfort, great joy. Resting in his trustworthiness. Then number five, verse number six, the second half. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. We will find total contentment and satisfaction. It will be eternal bliss. Have you ever been in a certain situation where you just didn't want it to, you just didn't want it to end? The weather was perfect. The people were perfect. The food was perfect. 
it was just a perfect day, whatever experience it, it might have been. And, and you don't want it to end. Such will be the case in heaven where there is total contentment, total satisfaction. And say, I don't want what I am experiencing to end. And the wonderful news is it won't. It won't end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. You're not going to thirst. You're not going to have needs. You're not going to have wants. You're not going to have worries. And then number six, what does all this mean? It, It means you're identified with God as family. You're identified with God. You're, you're part of the family. Revelation 21, 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I mean, we're not, if you will, guests in heaven. We're at home. We're with the family. We're with the heavenly father. We're with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I love my church family. The older I get, the more I just want to be here. I appreciated the opportunity to go to Toronto, and it was a great blessing to see what I saw there and experience what I experienced. It was an encouragement to me. But I told Sharon, I said, I I want to be with my church family. And I think the older I get, the, the more that I just want to be here with you. Just something about family. I mean... I've been excited ever since Matt called last week and said, Dad, would it be all right for us to come over tomorrow through the weekend and, uh, and be with you guys? You know, that's, that's family. I don't, I don't get the same feeling when I'm at a ball game. I'm with a bunch of people, but I don't know these people. I'm not related to these people. You know, but when I'm with you, you're, you're family. When I'm with my blood family... That's family. And it's just, it's special. And and there's nobody else that can substitute. And that's what it's going to be there in heaven. The family of God and and God the Father. and, And all is well and all is good and all is wonderful. And you are with family. I, I didn't even tell you this. I went on Google Earth, and uh, my dad, years ago, bought 80 acres in Mississippi, which was a big deal. Our family was just a modest, working-class family. We weren't wealthy at all. Just dad worked hard and oftentimes worked extra jobs to put shoes on three boys and provide for us. And so that was a big deal, getting that 80 acres in Mississippi. And um, after he passed away, the place started falling into disrepair. And um, me and my brothers, we just, it was one of the hardest things we did. And, and I told you before, it was, it was a second funeral when, when we sold the property. But my, me and my two brothers have moved away from that area. And just my mom, is, she's... Still two hours away from it. It was falling into disrepair fast, so we, so we sold it. And then uh, my mom uh, told me that she went to see my brother and passed by there. She said, you know, she said, I went by the camp. Of course, I knew exactly what she was talking about, the camp. There's only one. 
And uh, I said, and I thought, oh, you know. And she said, it wasn't pretty. I said, how's that? She said, it's been clear cut. And I just, it's just clear cut. So I went online on Google Earth. And I'm, I'm wondering, how often do they take pictures, Bob? <laughs> so I thought, that was just clear cut months ago, I suppose. And guess what? You could see it. You know, that it had been, at least, I was surprised. It was just the first half of the property. The front, probably the front 50 acres were clear cut, but the back 50, at least when the picture was taken, maybe, maybe they took it while they were cutting it, I don't know. But anyway, I started to tear up because I could see the little cabin that my dad had built. That was still there. And uh, family. There's nothing like family. To be a part of the family. I know some families are dysfunctional, and that is so sad. I'm, I'm, I'm blessed with my family and with my extended family and with Sharon's family. We're, we're, we're blessed. But even if your family, your physical family, your blood family is dysfunctional, you're part of God's family. And in heaven forever, it will be wonderful. You will be with your brothers and sisters in Christ and have a relationship there that supersedes all other relationships. What does it mean, number seven? That we're separated from all that is evil. Those days are over with. Verse number eight, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Not going to be murderers in heaven. Not going to be whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. You're going to be separated from all that is evil. It's, it's almost beyond my ability to comprehend what heaven is going to, to be like. Take your best day here on earth with your closest family and multiply it by 10 billion and maybe you have an inkling of what it's all about. Let me share with you these three final thoughts on this topic. How and why, I think it's important for us to reflect just for a second as we close. How and why did this beautiful scene that we just read about that is going to happen how and why did that happen? How, how is that able to unfold? I think that's important for us to, to remember that this is part of a grand plan. This is in, in the mind of God. Who and what was she before she became the bride is the question I saw asked. And here's the answer from Horatio Bonner. He said, she, the bride, us, We had no high descent to boast of. Her lineage, our lineage, was not royal, but low and mean. Not not mean like harsh, but in, in this day, mean meant of low degree, you know, on the bottom. Without goodness, without beauty, without personal or family recommendation, unloving and unlovable, an alien, a captive, a rebel. And he says this, well-worded. Such were you once, O saint, but sadly such are you still, O sinner. 
So understand and getting to heaven to appreciate it the more, realize where we've come from. Realize, again, let me just read it. She, talking about us, we're the bride, had no high descent to boast of. Her lineage was not royal, but low and mean, without goodness, without beauty, without personal or family recommendation, unloving and unlovable, an alien, a captive, a rebel. That was us. But how were we obtained as the bride? Quote him again. The bride, she is a captive and must be set free. This the bridegroom undertakes to do. For her sake, becoming a captive. She is a criminal under wrath and must be delivered from condemnation and death. This also the bridegroom undertakes for her sake, submitting to condemnation and death, so that her pardon may be secured, her fetters broken, and life made hers forever. In other words, we will experience what we just read about in this chapter, not because we deserve it or because we're somebody, but somebody else paid the price for us, which then leads us to the final question. How is she, how is she prepared and adorned? It is through the Holy Spirit that this is carried out. The Spirit having overcome her unwillingness and persuaded her to consent to the glorious betrothment immediately commences his work of preparation. He strips her of her rags and puts on her uh, royal apparel. He cleanses her from her filthiness and makes her whiter than snow. It's Christ going to the cross. It's the Holy Spirit indwelling us that makes us the bride, which brings us full circle back to verses 1 and 2. John wrote, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city. This is us. The new Jerusalem. Purchased by Christ, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Assuming that we are all in this room indeed born again, and I trust that we are. Assuming that we are all indeed born again, we're going to get to experience that together. How cool is that going to be? Brother Casey, you're going to be there? Hopefully. (laughs) Brother Bob? Bonnie? Mm, We're working on it. See, I love you. I love experiencing things with you, our 4th of July, or whatever we do. Just church, coming back to Sunday. And we, we all get to do it together. And with how many more other Christian brothers and sisters in Christ through the ages, the ones that were hunted down like animals over in the Middle East, they'll be there. The ones through the ages that have been burned at the stake, they'll be there. That's going to be really cool. 
Let's stand, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.